it's like, what is love, right? Is it even like, is it real? I know that's a question that I, I struggle with. Is it real? What does it look like? Like you were saying, how is it healthy? Because like in learning about love, the introduction was, I need to love Christ more than I love myself, Mm. right? Or anyone. And so that in itself really was the foundation of me learning that I wasn't worthy, right? I wasn't even worthy to love myself more than any, anyone else or any other being. And, and also in that, right, that was also how I loved my mother, right? It was, it was, I loved her more than me. I mean, I didn't even, she was the, the first framework for what this whole exploration of love is, right? I come into this world, I have no idea what it is. And so I am completely dependent on her. And as I became older and an adult and started going to like therapy and learning about things like boundaries, you know, the goal is to love your mother or other people but in such a way that you are also loving and honoring yourself. Welcome to Breaking Generational Trauma, Restoring the Mother Within, Table Talk with Real Raw Mama. That's me, where women get real and raw about what it means to feel seen, heard, honored, loved, and valued. Each week, we dive into how to truly reconnect with and nurture the mother within us all. You know, the one who receives all truths with an open heart, loves you fully as you are in every moment, no matter how you think, feel, or act, and the one who holds fierce, loving boundaries for herself and those she loves. I am your host, Jessica Atchison, a real raw mama, holistic wellness architect, and inspirer of light. My mission is to provide a safe space for all women, especially mothers, to feel seen, heard, honored, loved, and valued, while providing holistic tools of self-care that support the nervous system and balance hormonal health. In this episode, I get real and raw with Dr. Tavina Lin, author of her newly published book, Still in My Mother's Womb. We dive into the first question of her book, which is, is there really a connection between love and spirituality? What exactly is love? And what does it look like? Does love come with boundaries? Join us over the next few weeks as we dive further into her book and the other questions she poses. We also explore what it means to Tavina to feel seen, heard, honored, loved, and valued as a woman on this planet right now. Please share this with any of the women in your life that you love. Thanks for joining us. Please enjoy. Well, I'm super excited to be sharing this space with you, Tavina, and to really dive into your book. So thank you so much for sending it to me. I'm so grateful for our connection, and I'm really looking forward to diving into it over the next several weeks. Yes. Thank you for having me. And I am so excited to to have this space to talk more about my book and more about mother wounds and definitely excited that you you read it like you read it really fast and I'm I'm happy that you have found it boo and are open to this this conversation 
Yes. Well, let's start off with the the title of your book, Still in My Mother's Womb. Mm -hmm. So what really inspired this for you? Like, when did you feel like this is the book I need to write? Yeah. So the the writing of the book was, it was very nonlinear in that I was just writing in general. Like I had started doing something called Morning Pages after I read this book called The Artist's Way. And it was one of the activities that I learned from doing that was writing three pages every single morning. So I was just doing that as a way to start writing and also really just process my feelings. And and this just this daily practice was really magical and powerful and just taking the time and space to spend, you know, 30 minutes just writing whatever comes out. Like it's free, it's freehand writing. So in this, in this practice of consistently writing, I was in California and I just started writing particularly around my, like things that were coming up around family and feelings around my mother. And I describe this experience as kind of mystical because I was feeling everything like in a way that I really hadn't felt. And I had previously spent like most of most of my life being numb, honestly, and disconnected from feeling. So this whole like feeling emotions, being with them, giving voice to them was fairly new for me. And I was learning how to do this right in therapy. And so this particular time I was in California and I was staying with someone that is like a mother to me. Right. I have many mothers. and. I was writing a different type of way, right? I was writing kind of like poem pieces and I was really connected to what I was feeling. And I just started writing about my mother, right? And and not just her, but just whatever was coming up as it pertained to my relationship with her. And it was really just me writing for myself, like just processing writing. And then it felt like this nudge that was like, this gets to be, a, like an actual book that you share with the world. So it, I didn't necessarily come into this, like I'm going to write a book about healing mother wounds. It was more of, I was just writing. I had a writing practice as a tool for my own healing. And then I started writing about mother wounds and then it turned into a book project. So it, it has all been like a practice of just surrender and just kind of flowing wherever <laughs> wherever it takes me. So that's how the book came to be. Wow, I love that. I'm looking at the first question that you ask in the book, which is, can I connect love and spirituality? Can you tell us how that question arose for you? So I'm very much activated by questions. It gives me some type of clarity just by the question being asked. And so that's why the book ended up being sort of structured in this way of, each section, instead of just having like a statement or a title for the theme, it was really a question that I noticed that I was exploring in that section. That question, I feel like, can I connect love and spirituality really is a question that is a theme for like what what my childhood experience was, right? It was really me trying to find that connection between those two things. And when I just hear that question, like, can I connect love and spirituality to me? It's like, it should be obvious. Like, yes. Right. Like 
when I think about everything that I was taught in Christianity, which is the religion that I, I grew up in, it was always about love and how, you know, God and Jesus symbolizes love. But when I think about my experience in religion, right, growing up, and that was the place where I learned about spirituality and how to develop a spiritual practice within the context of this Christian religion, I, when I started to kind of deconstruct it and reflect back, I didn't, I didn't always really experience love, right? It, it wasn't, even though it, it should have been, or I was taught that it was the foundation, my experience of it was not love. And in fact, religion is not really where I found love, <laughs> interestingly. And so it's really this question of me exploring like, it feels like there should be a point of intersection between this idea of love and spirituality. And it's me asking like, well, does that ex intersection even exist? And if so, what is it? What is that intersection? And for me, it's been, it's been a practice or a journey of really shedding everything that I've been taught about love and spirituality, or particularly in the context of religion and Christianity even more specifically. And it was me creating my own spiritual practice, my own spirituality, right? What that meant to me. And that is really where I began to experience love. And particularly it's been about like love for myself, right? It, it wasn't like a love of an external being. It's really been a practice a spiritual practice of like, how do I love and connect deeply with myself? Yeah, I love that. I'm looking at the little chart in your book right now that says mm -hmm. love from a distance, how we started mm -hmm. and you're over on the, I love you side, what I hope for in the middle and where we are now, which is I love me. And I can totally relate to the disconnect with love. And I grew up in Christianity. My learning what love was, was so distorted <laughs> mm -hmm. based off of punishment and discipline and telling yeah. me, I, I love you before I hit you. <laughs> like, yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that really speaks to me. And yeah, it's, it can be hard to move, move past that and really learn what healthy love is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or even if it's relevant, like what, yeah, it's like, what is love? Right. Is it even like, is it real? I know that's a question that I, I struggle with. Is it real? What does it look like? Like you were saying, how is it healthy? Because like in learning about love, the introduction was I need to love Christ more than I love myself mm. or anyone. And so that in itself really was the foundation of me learning that I wasn't worthy, right? I wasn't even worthy to love myself more than any, anyone else or any other being. And, and also in that, right, that was also how I loved my mother, right? It was, it was, I loved her more than me. I mean, I didn't even, she was the, the first framework for what this whole exploration of love is right? I come into this world, I have no idea what it is. 
And so I am completely dependent on her. And as I became older and adult and started going to like therapy and learning about things like boundaries, it's like, you, you know, the goal is to love your mother or just other people, but in such a way that you are also loving and honoring yourself. And that was new for me because loving me wasn't even discussed growing up. Like literally as a child, it was never a conversation around loving myself. There was conversations around working hard and being confident in my abilities, but it wasn't in loving me no matter what I did or didn't do. Right. And so where I landed, particularly with my mother was ideally I wanted to love both her and me. And I guess in some ways I am, but it really became like the complete opposite of like where I am now is I get to love me and love me first and love me most. And if we can meet in that middle where it's a healthy boundary, that's why I have that quote by Princess Hemphill, which I love. Like when they said this quote, it just, it really helped me understand boundaries. So the quote is, boundaries are the distance at which I can love you and me simultaneously. Right. I think it's such a beautiful definition of what boundaries are and also what love within in the context of boundaries, what that experience is. There gets to be this balance of loving God, the universe, my ancestors and loving myself. There gets to be a healthy in the middle. Right. That's that's the ideal place. I think you bring up a key point where I was like, wow, I do. I don't think I remember being taught to love myself at all either. So I don't know if that is a religious thing or a cultural thing or just where humanity is at and where we're moving Mm -hmm. out of. But yeah, I was not taught practices of self-love. And even now, you know, I still, I still am moving through my own self-deprecation of Mm -hmm. after I had my son, I, my hormones shifted and I never had any skin challenges my whole life. And then I started obsessing about that. And and then you, I kept thinking of like, you know, my mom used to be looking in the mirror and obsessing. And so you learn these, these traits from your mother and you learn boundaries from your mother too, unless you didn't grow up with a mother. But a lot of us, that's where we learn our first, what boundaries actually mean and yeah. what healthy boundaries are. And unfortunately, a lot of us don't learn healthy boundaries or boundaries at all. At least I didn't. Yeah. It's so interesting because this whole idea of like self-love, it's, I think it's, it's really new. It's, it's more so talked about now and we have more tools and practices of it, but I don't even know that like my mother or even like the generation before my mother even had the capacity to love themselves. I don't know that they had the capacity to even explore self-love, right? Because even when I think about like my own journey with self-love, I've been fortunate to have a lot of space to even explore it, right? Mm -hmm. Like, Like physical space, space in my day, in time, right? And responsibilities. Like I just think about if you're in survival mode and you're constantly 
trying to just survive, right? Just have your basic needs met. Something like self-love probably, I mean, it sounds like a luxury or like, I mean, woo-woo or like, yeah, that's all good. (laughs) But like, (laughs) is it going to pay my rent or is it going to put food on the table for my kids? And so I, I think it's now being more explored. Like if I just think about how things have evolved with generations, with just my own lineage is because of how things have evolved and the access that I now have that my mother didn't have, that my mother and mother didn't have. I have access to my needs being met to where I have this space to do healing. Right. And then in that healing, right, then now I can ask this question and explore things like, what is love? Am I loving myself? How do I know if I'm loving myself? What is spirituality? What's the connection between the two, right? It's It's been that space to do that. And then it's not an excuse for those that are still choosing not to, right? Because at the end of the day, we all get to make a decision. I do think, though, the context of what is happening in our environment and just how we grew up and yeah, in our environment and what we were taught and what was already in us, it it just, it does play a role in, in what self-love is. And I mean, love in itself is so complicated. It it (laughs) kind of frustrates me. I started reading Bell Hook's book about, about love. And I think it's called all about love. And I remember closing it like, I can't do this because love was supposed to be the foundation for everything. And the fact that it's not clear (laughs) what the foundation is, Mm. it just completely blows up everything. And so it's like, even the fact that a lot of things that my mother did that harmed me, right, that I experienced literally as abuse from her perspective, it was her expression of love. And that alone is just wild to me that some of our expressions of love, other people actually experience it as hate or harm right. or not love. Oh, it's so true. It, <laughs> the moment you ever think that you know something, it's like, yeah. Right? <laughs> like, but you don't. <laughs> or there's another level. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's always, always another level. Well, we could probably talk about this for quite a while longer, but I would I would love to, before we end this segment, and we will be going into different questions in your book every week. This is just kind of like a short little segment to get you all to head over and check out her book, download it. It's on, you can, is it on Audible or can we, can you listen audibly? So not yet. I am currently recording actually the audiobook and still deciding how that's going to be released. So right now you can the physical paper book, a paperback copy on Amazon. So you can go to Amazon and you have to do like search within the books department. I don't know why that's the case right now. Or you can also go to my website, Dr. Tavina Lynn, D R T A V I N A. L-Y-N-N dot com backslash book. And that will also lead you directly to the Amazon page to purchase your copy. Awesome. Well, 
Before we close out, I just want to touch a little bit on the last parts of this segment or what I, I think are the last parts about grief and atonement. And this particular page where you say, I long for you. I miss you. I need you. Without you, I am physically sick, emotionally unstable, mentally lost. A piece, a piece of me is gone forever, never to return. Now I must learn to live without you. And so are you speaking to your mother or to a discovery about love or to yourself or where specifically were you channeling that to? Mm, that's so interesting. I, I can't recall in the moment what I wrote it, what it was about. I think so I in so I think in the moment it was about the grief of not being in close relation to my mother, right? Mm-hmm. So we haven't we haven't been in relationship and I not relationship. Cause I think we always are in relationship. Even if we never speak, we haven't spoken right. And been in the same physical space for seven years. And wow. so this piece was really me being with the grief that I have around that loss, right? She is physically here on this earth and alive, but in many ways I've grieved her because we aren't connected right in the way that we have been before. And it's also me going back and forth with like, because the grief is so overwhelming, there are moments where I'm like, maybe I should just be in relationship with her, even if it feels toxic and not healthy and not healthy boundaries, right? Maybe I should just live with her because she's here and I don't want to feel this grief and this loss. So it's, it's really speaking to I say like the disrespect of grief because grief just kind of completely engulfs you and swallow you. It's, it's a necessary feeling and experience to go through. I think like we all experience grief or will experience it in some, in some part of our lives. And it doesn't always have to be when someone actually transitions, right? It's, we experience grief when a relationship ends. Or even when a relationship changes, right? Like in friendships or romantic partners, like even just the relationship changing. Like I imagine a couple, if you're together, it's just the two of you when you have your first child, there's a grief around what the relationship was before your family expanded. And I think we get to honor that and and be with that. Absolutely. I mean, it's the joys of living in the realm of impermanence, right? Yeah. That was so beautifully said. The joys of living in the realm of well, impermanence. Well, and not not it's sometimes it's hard to find that joy, but mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, wow. I, I just until really this last year just seeped into me the the depth of joy and bliss that there is even in the grief. Oh, absolutely. I didn't experience joy until I completely like allowed myself to be overwhelmed by grief. That is when I tapped into joy. So it really is like on like the opposite faces of the same coin. As a woman out there in the world, especially a mama, do you ever struggle with overactive, busy mind, lack of focus or clarity, nervousness, overwhelm, or a short fuse? Access clarity 
which is one of my absolute favorite finds from last year, is the first and only dissolvable strip of its kind. It's aimed at helping mood, gut health, and focus. There are so many other benefits with this little yellow square. With this three simple, holistic, natural, and effective ingredient blend, which is NAC, thiamine, and curcumin, combined with exclusive proprietary diffusion technology, you may feel the benefits in just a few minutes by simply allowing the strip to dissolve on your tongue. Instant impact straight into the bloodstream. No need to wait months before noticing the benefits. It is my go-to for daily focus on an overall sense of well-being and calm, which has helped improve my patience with my two-year-old, and I even use them to diffuse toddler meltdowns. Total real raw mama lifesaver. To learn more and to join our testimonial group, visit embracewhoyouare.com. And now, back to the show. So in talking about your relationship with your mother and all of the ways in which you felt any pain or wounding from her, how coming out of all of that, what did you discover for you what it means to really feel seen, heard, honored, loved, and valued as a woman on this planet? Hmm. I I love this question and I, I think I'm still figuring it out for sure. What oh God, that makes many of us. <laughs> yeah, it's just like I'm like, I, I'm like, does anybody have the answer? Please let me know. What, <laughs> what has worked, what has been working is when I commit to being to feeling seen, honored, valued, and heard by me. Yes. Yeah. Like the moment that I outsource it is when it falls apart (laughs) and I don't feel all of those things. And it's not to say I do, there are moments where I do, I do actually feel these from, from my community as well. But I think the more I feel it from my community is because I'm, I'm giving myself space to be, to be heard and seen, right? Even, even in this journey with, with exploring my mother wounds, it was a journey of me creating a relationship with like I call her little Tavina, my inner child or little T. It was allowing her to speak, right? And allowing her to feel all her feelings as big as they are and not judging her. And like being with her, listening to her, holding her affirming her, right? Letting her know that she's worthy. She's not bad. That has been, that has been the work. And the more that I do that with little Tavina and then all the parts of me. Yeah. That's, that's been the journey. It's like everything we need is in us. It's so wild to, you hear it, but then when you start practicing it, it's like, yeah, it starts in me. So the more that I feel heard, seen, honored, valued by myself, then it just happens where my community also starts to feel me in a different way, starts to see me deeper and honor and value me because they're just reflecting back to me what I am already cultivating and believing within myself. Absolutely. And it's part of why the show is called Restoring the Mother Within. Because oh. truly, yeah, that is, you know, we talk about the mother wound. That is, I feel, 
our deepest wound, whether you're a mother, a daughter, a male, a female, it is learning how to be that unconditional source of love for you that, like Mm. you said, sees you first and foremost, because if you can't see yourself, you can't expect other people to. And if you can't hear yourself, which, you know, to me, hearing your hearing, having yourself be heard is learning how to find and use your voice, which I find can be a real challenge. And it's not even just speaking your truth. I feel like it's like really living and stepping into it. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. It's so one thing I, when you said that what the title is and like re restoring or reconnecting to the mother within this, just this morning, I was thinking about how, so even now when I look at people and I engage with people, I can see like the little kid in them, right? Especially like when they just like let themselves be seen and they're more relaxed and they're not, you know, their representative isn't up and they feel safe. And I realized that like only recently in my tapping into the mother within is it's been directly proportional to how much I trust myself. Right. Like I couldn't even access the mother within because really like my inner child was leading subconsciously, but she was just out here. Like it it was she was out here, her feelings were getting hurt, she was being triggered, and there was no there was no guidance for her on how to like be with what she was feeling and and also helping her release those old beliefs, right? Those stories that I came up with as a child. And it's been in, in nurturing my inner child. Like you were saying, it's I'm developing the mother. And so people would say to me, like, do you think you'll ever have your own kids? Like, I think you'd make a great mother. And I really had a hard time seeing that. I was like, I don't think I would. Like, I actually am really concerned. So I'm happy that I'm not a mother right now. But recently... And mothering myself, it's like, maybe I could do this because I've, I've been doing this, you know, however many years I've been healing and just having a relationship with, with my little, my little part, my little T it's, it's like the mother, the maternal Tavina is like being born. It's really Uh, wild. So I was just thinking about that today. Oh, I love that (laughs) so much. I mean, I, I feel like I went through a similar journey where I was like, I don't, I'm the oldest of five kids and I, I, th- I think when I was with my first boyfriend, who was like the love of my life, of course mm-hmm. I wanted to have kids. And then after that, I was like, no, I don't think I ever want to have kids. And then once you hit like 30, you're like, your body yeah. feels the calling. <laughs> that is a real thing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I think you would make an amazing mother. And it is so mm-hmm. like powerful that there are so many women who are having kids later in life after they have learned how to mother themselves within. Mm -hmm. And honestly, even when you do that, it still doesn't make, it makes the journey a little bit easier, I guess. But there's, there's more awareness, I would say, but like you're, at least for me, like so many of the triggers that I felt as a child of, you know, being yelled at or anger, rage at being punished Mm -hmm. uh, and hit. (laughs) that all like resurfaces when you have a little being who who in the toddler phase is like thrashing all your stuff and you're the only one cleaning up after him. And so like all all these emotions that you 
think that you've like not necessarily evolved past, but you've, you know, learned how to use them more gracefully mm-hmm. or receive them more gracefully. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they come up with not so much grace. Right. Right. Cause we're still human. So we're not going to get it perfect every single time, even though we know better where we might not always do the thing that we know to do because we're still human. And in that moment, right. It may be a lot to show up with all the patience and care that you intend to. Yeah. Absolutely. But it does in learning how to mother yourself, it it really does allow you to even in those moments reflect, even if afterwards or after the moment you didn't act in the way that you wanted to, it's still like, you're like, oh, what are the tools that I can get? And I don't like the way this feels. I don't like the way that I acted, but I also have enough self-compassion and grace to forgive myself and Mm -hmm. to also realize that you aren't going to be perfect with your child and to really embody that to your child that when you do make a mistake about how you speak to them or, you know, the tone in which you're using is that you actually apologize because Mm. my parents never, well, maybe they might have, but I don't really remember it. So (laughs) that would have gone a long way with me if I had known that somebody was actually apologetic and they changed their behavior too. That of course needs to go with it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know where I where I've heard this. It was probably a podcast, but something about just the power of apologizing, like the one, the awareness, right? So even if you don't respond in parenting in the way that you wanted to or felt you should have, the power of apologizing is somewhere I heard that it's like one of the best parenting tools that you can incorporate. It just apologizing because one, it's it's showing them that you're not perfect and that you, and then you also value them as another person. Because the thing that's so wild to me when parents are like, I don't need to apologize to my kids or even thank them for doing something. Because I remember talking to my sister and she shared how she thanks her kids, even if it's something that like a responsibility they have, if they're doing their chores, she thanks them for doing what she asked them to do. And someone was asking like, why do you do that? And I'm like, because they're a person. Just because they're younger, you know, like doesn't mean that they don't get the same dignity and respect that you would give a friend, right? If you do something wrong to a friend, you you say sorry, ideally, right? Or if you ask a friend to do you a favor and they do it, you say thank you, right? These are just common courtesy things. And I think sometimes it's just so simple as doing that with with children and children are the most forgiving. Okay. If I feel like if the group of people that have mastered (laughs) forgiveness is kids, because they just watching the way they interact with each other, the way they navigate through conflict. I mean, they say some really hurtful things to each other, but they'll be like, sorry. And then they're back playing. And it is like, it is, there is no harbored feelings no resentment. I'm like, wow, like they really have this forgiveness thing. They, they understand it in a way that I think adults we can learn from. Yes, they really do have, (laughs) they really do have it down. I mean, I honestly think we come, we come here like in perfect form Mm, (laughs) somewhere along the way we, ah, we just lose our, our real innocence 
of being in the moment. And like you said, just not holding on to something. It's like every moment's a new moment. So what for you really tells you that someone sees you and honors you? Because I I when in putting this podcast together, I had asked some friends, you know, what questions I should ask or what particular things that they wanted to feel as a woman. And they kept saying respect, respect. And I looked and I'm like, well, mm-hmm. honor to be honored is to be respected, mm-hmm. but it's actually like the highest form of respect. I feel that that's kind of something that's been lost in our culture is that we don't hard, rarely do we respect people. Yeah. <laughs> and we really don't honor people most of the time, especially the role of motherhood, just the feminine in general and how she has shown up for this planet silently for a very Mm. long time. I realize when I most feel honored is, so my brother and I had this conversation about when we're in relationship, the question of like, can I be free with you? And especially because it's so much talk about like being authentic and being free, right? And we don't talk a lot about when I'm being free, how it may impact others, right? And not impact in a way that like I could literally just be doing my thing, being who I am, and it it can it can hurt someone. It's possible that it can even deeply wound them, and it can be someone that I love and care about. And so it is when I feel like I can be free to be myself with someone, and there is there is space for us to to share like what our experience is, but there is not necessarily this need to like fix it or say that someone needs to change. Like Mm -hmm. you did this and it made me feel this way. And so I need you to not do that. It's just them acknowledging what their experience was of me and also honoring like where I am. And it's so interesting. I, I feel like I experienced this just yesterday on a Zoom call with a friend And sometimes I feel this pressure to only be around people when I am in like this joyful, excited, fun. Like I I would say when little Tavina is just like running wild. Right. And but when because my feelings are really big and people can feel them. Right. They can feel them without me saying anything. And so that also means that if I'm experiencing deep sadness or rage, everyone will feel it in the space. And it's really something that I've been really trying to figure out, like, how do I be in community and still be myself? And it's it was nice just on the call for someone to just say, like, yeah, like you seem sad. And they didn't try to do anything to not make me sad. But I felt seen in them naming it. And it was like, yeah, I do feel sad. And I've I've kind of cycled through sadness throughout this conversation, right? But there wasn't, I didn't feel any shame. Like, oh, my sadness is impacting the, the relation, like impacting the space. I need to change it and shift it. I didn't feel that pressure. And 
but I also felt seen in that they named it because sometimes it's like, if you see someone struggling and you also don't say it, then I think that can also make us not feel seen and feel really isolated and alone because it's like, no one sees that I'm struggling right now and everybody's just pretending like they don't see it. So it's, it's really just naming. It's when I feel connected and, and a person can see me right where I am in that moment, but they don't forget me in totality, right? Or in the highest expression of me. So it's like, yeah, I know you had a moment right now and I see that, but I'm not judging you for this moment. I, I'm, I'm, I see it. I'm not saying you should shift it. And I also still hold you in this high honor because I know who you are, like the full essence of you. And not that they completely know me, right? But they're, they're holding that. It's like they see my higher self as well. Yeah. I love that. That's yeah. like the highest form of honor for someone to provide mm-hmm. a safe space for you to feel however you feel, like you said, without trying to shift it. I think mm-hmm. that's often something that happens in relationships between the masculine and the feminine yes. is that, that the masculine's just like, shut the F up. Let me fix this for you. <laughs> yes. They are such fixers. And I'm like, who told you that there was a problem? I'm just saying I'm feeling all the things and they're like, so what do you need me to do? You need me to fix it? And it's like, no. Yeah. But it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's either let me fix it or stop complaining. You're yeah. a complainer. I yeah. got that last night with the father of my son where it's just like, I can't express how I'm, I can't express my pain to you without you tr- trying to either fix it or actually he doesn't even necessarily try to, I almost wish he would fix it actually. Yeah. <laughs> some, some things that he could fix, right. but yeah, there sometimes just comes a place where it's just the masculine just views the feminine as who's, you know, the feminine to me is that force of creation that's constantly moving and shifting and evolving and expanding. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes it's angry and rageful and sometimes it's sad and sometimes it's joyful and bliss, like all of the things. And so if we don't, provide that space for it to be fully felt and experienced, Mm -hmm. then yeah, we're just going to want to label it or get, get rid of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, in, in our society, there isn't, so one, it's not a lot of space to feel in general, right? Because one, the fact that we even label emotions and I get it like some, there are moments where I can be in feelings and I feel like this is not serving me, right? If I stay in that feeling too long, let's just say, for example, or what I'm doing as a result of the feeling. That's really always the question. How am I feeling this? Am I feeling it and harming myself or am I feeling it and I'm still moving, but I'm, I'm still being with the feeling? So we, I feel like we already live in a culture where it's really, we categorize feelings. Like it's only acceptable to be motivated, happy, joyful, excited, right? Or really neutral. Anything that is like, (laughs) you know, deep sadness, then it's like something's wrong with you. Maybe you're depressed or if you're in rage, it's like you're an angry person. It's all of these labels that we put. So we already do that, but we especially do it to, to men or to the masculine. They, there is really not a lot of space them to feel. And I know I have been guilty of this myself, where if I experienced a man that was very much in touch with his feelings, I judged him for it. It's something that 
as a community, as a as humanity, we get to just allow people to feel like feeling is a is a people thing. It is not just a woman thing, right? It's not just a certain type of woman or a certain. It's not even really related to gender at all, right? That's something that we've made up. Absolutely. Yeah, it's like it's sensations in our bodies that's telling us that's giving us information about something. And so everybody gets to feel that. And so I think we get to have, create more space for men and just masculine energies to feel whatever they feel. And I mean, they also get to show up as well, but I do, lately I've had a lot of thoughts of like, a lot of men have defined their whole masculinity around not feeling. And so they have to be okay with, well, if I'm going to feel now I have to completely discard my whole definition of what masculinity was or what it, what it means to me. I have to completely redefine it or shed the definition is in its entirety. But yeah, I mean, I think they get to do that. Right. But we also get to create space for it as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And if you can't create space for it in a gracious way, I just say, get the F out. <laughs> like, Don't, don't waste yeah. your time trying to, I, I mean, I feel so many women we have for so long tried to like be the one that leads a man back to his heart. Oh, and absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's a nice idea. And I think that that is actually part of like what we're here for, but I think we've often done it to our our own detriment at a, and at a loss. And it gets to the point where it's like your cup is completely empty and he's still pretty much the same. And really you can't love a man to look at his um, unexamined pain. So it's really a journey that, you know, everyone is on, whether you're masculine or feminine mm-hmm. or male or female, you know, we all have masculine and feminine energy in us. But yeah, it's really learning to step into that heart space and allow yourself to feel all of it and to not label it, to not feel shame or judgment over it. And yeah, you have to first be able to do that for yourself. And so as a as a woman in several different relationships, I've just finally realized like I can't <laughs> I can't keep trying to love someone their own healing journey. Yeah. You know, you, you just, at one point you just have to part ways. Yeah. It's definitely, it's a decision that we all get to make individually. It can't be coerced. It can't be forced. It's such a self journey, a solo journey. Doesn't mean you're not in community, but it's definitely a journey that you get to take by, by yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. So to wrap it up, I mean, this might be a long wrap up, but what, <laughs> Does it? We just kind of talked about what love is on some level and how it is kind of ambiguous and specific to each person's own mm-hmm. upbringing and ideas of what is helpful or not helpful. I don't like using terms right or wrong or good or evil. Yeah. It's like, is this helpful? Right. <laughs> like, I, I'm with it. When I try to ask myself in any relationship, I'm just like, is this helpful mm-hmm. or like, cause I don't even know if I can say, is this loving? Because like you said, it's like, we all have distorted versions of love. Mm-hmm. So what does it mean to you? I mean, maybe it, it evolves from day to day, but what does it mean to you to feel loved as a woman and to feel valued in our society? 
I think the word judgment is coming up. And so I feel like to feel loved feels like not judging any form of my expression. Mm. Yeah. And really celebrating it, all of the forms, even if you don't agree with it, even if you're like, I wouldn't have said that, or I wouldn't have expressed that in the way that you did. And yet I honor and respect you for doing it because that's what you felt was your truth. My brother and I, because he is the person that comes to mind. We don't always agree on a lot of things. And in fact, we don't agree on most things, like most things that are like really big in terms of like spirituality. Yeah, we, we have very different views in a lot of this, a lot of things. But one of the reasons I feel so loved by him is because the conversation is never trying to convince me to express in a different way. It is, in fact, it is always encouraging me to be fully expressed. And so love to me is someone that inspires me, that provides the safety and also inspires me and supports me in me just being fully expressed in whatever way that is. And yeah, not judging it, not trying to force certain things, not trying to say you should tone that part down. That's just like, I'm, I'm here. Like, I just want you to be fully expressed. You deserve that. You're worthy of that. Mm, yeah. I love that. That is such a beautiful perspective on what it means to feel loved. That truly is, you know, that that's the divine, that's the deep mother within that receives you as you are fully in every yeah. moment, no matter how you think, no matter how you feel, no matter how you act. Right. And we're all unique. I mean, like our uniqueness sometimes gets hidden because of how, because of societal or social constructs, right? But really no two people are created the same. So that means that the expression of everyone, it gets to be different. That's actually the gift. That's the beauty yes. of being in this community. And so when we learn to value that, and honor it, then I feel like that is when we are in the state or the experience of love. And it first happens with ourselves, right? Because I can be my own worst critic. So I have to, if I feel led to express in a certain way, it's like, go with. And the moment that I give myself and I honor myself and love myself to express myself in whatever way, then it gives other people the permission. But that's really what I think we all we all really want to be seen, right? And and we want to really express ourselves, but it's just the fear of like, if I fully express myself, am I going to be outcasted, right? Because me, mm-hmm. right now, for example, me fully expressing myself was shedding Christianity, was me saying, I don't, I don't practice this faith. And there was a lot of fear around that because it meant what relationships may I have to sacrifice, I might have to sacrifice because of that. And it's like, and the truth is, relationships may change, but I really shouldn't have to sacrifice a relationship if love is really there, right? Because I have friendships and relationships with people that have all different types of spiritual beliefs. Like there is no rule that says we all need to believe the same thing. Some of our faiths teach us that. 
but I, my, that, that hasn't felt like love to me. And even what I've understood in the teachings of these religions is also not really what, you know, the, (laughs) (laughs) it's questionable. I don't know what they were drinking while they were. Yeah. I'm like, that is not what they were teaching. So I don't know how we came to this, but you know, again, in, in all of our beautiful different forms of expression, that means we all get different interpretations and, and it's, and it's all good. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, to close it out, how, what what would you describe as what does it mean to you to feel valued in a relationship with yourself, with others? To feel valued. Because I find for at least in motherhood, you know, I don't I don't know that I ever questioned my value until I became a mother. And then mm. I felt like my value Instead of going up, it went down. Wow. <laughs> you, would th- you would think that, you know, you would become more precious to someone, na- namely like the father of your child mm-hmm. or to the world, to humanity, you know, as, you know, raising the next generation. And so I feel like that's a lot of pain. That's a large pain point for mothers. And even for women, I find with a lot of friends who you know don't have kids that feeling valued in a relationship is challenged because is challenging because there's just not really like a feeling of equality in a relationship in Mm. terms of showing up and responsibilities and things of that nature and so really just trying to get to the heart of what does it mean for the feminine to feel valued and how can she provide value to herself yeah, this is one that I I struggle with because when I hear value, I hear worthiness. And mm-hmm. like the goal is I'm worthy, period. Right? Just I'm worthy. I'm valued. I'm valuable, period. Not because I did anything, not because I look a certain way, not because I move a certain way. And that has been challenging because it's like when we talk about value, even when we say someone that's bringing value into a relationship, right? It is very much about what they're doing that I can benefit from in some way, whether they make me feel good or they provide certain resources or access to certain things. But these are all like things that people are doing. And and for me, worthiness is not attached to any of that. Like worthiness should not be attached to what my career is, to whether or not I'm a mother, to how I mother. It just like we should just be worthy just because. And I am I am still trying to figure out what that means, right? When I when it comes up, it's definitely like when I have days where I'm not being productive, quote unquote, based on what I've been taught productivity is, right? And really, I mean, it even comes down to productivity. It has to be some type of income generating activity, right? Mm, and yeah. if I'm not doing something that's income generating, then I feel I really battle with this feeling of like, I am not 
worthy is really what it comes to. And it's in those moments, especially where I keep saying to myself, like, you are worthy, you are worthy. Like, even though you might have just been in the house all day and did, I mean, and you, we never do nothing, right? But it may have just been a self-care day, right? Like, maybe, Especially not as a woman, your body's like going through cycles yes, all the time, every time. Right. So even it's like, even if I've sat here and I've just, I've meditated, I've written, maybe I went for a walk. I mean, this is really productive, but in those moments, I really be like questioning my worth. And so it's being, feeling valued. It feels like it's a knowing it's not, it's actually not even attached to a feeling. It feels like I am valuable or I feel valued. It's just the knowing. I don't even know that someone can make me feel valued or worthy. I think it's, it's something that I get to just know and and know consistently so I don't I really yeah I'm still trying to figure that out (laughs) and no I love that and it's it is totally about worthiness and I feel like like you said no, no one really can provide you that feeling of value, especially mm-hmm. when we're constantly always looking for ways in which we're not valuable to ourselves, yeah. <laughs> that we need to be doing more. I mean, I, I feel like that's kind of that patriarchal programming that you are only valuable if you are busy doing something, yeah. um, if you are producing something by some sort of linear measure. Mm-hmm. So I think that is part of our deprogramming on this planet that we're going through right now is learning to really fully embrace all parts of ourselves while we recognize that just breathing and existing is more than enough. Yes. Emphasis on the breathing because we don't even be breathing (laughs) out here. (laughs) Yes. Well, I love chatting with you. We could probably talk forever um but we'll we'll wrap it up here but yeah let's the next segment in your book that we're going to dive into next week let's give like a little highlight preview of that i believe the next question is something about rage so it's it's a statement that rage is sacred and then the question is now what Mm, well we'll end with that now what (laughs) (laughs) well i look forward to next week's discussion thank you so much for joining us and yeah please just share one more time where we can find your book yeah so go to my website dr dr tavina t as in tango a v i n a l y n n dot com backslash book And you can find information about my book and just more information about me in general on my website. Thank you so much for for having me, Jessica. Oh, yeah. Thank you. And definitely the coolest doctor I have met so far. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I received that. Thanks so much for joining us and sharing this space. Until next time, please share your thoughts with us. How do you feel seen, heard, honored, loved, and valued? And for more inspired content, real raw mama moments, holistic products, technologies, and tools, visit embracewhoyouare.com. Connect with us at Real Raw Mama on Instagram and TikTok, and listen to the Real Raw Mama podcast on all your favorite platforms. Plus, I want you to remember, you're the chosen one. We all are.